We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Deschamps proves that he can still take an exciting attacking talent in France and turn it into a boring 1-0 victory. This is Euro Daily from the Arsenal Vision. My name is Elliot Smith, the Bachman Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, I keep calling it a different show, but you get the idea what show it is. Yeah, um, Didier Deschamps, the master of the 1-0, the master of the the sort of dull victory, despite all of the attacking talent and flair that he has in his side. Maybe maybe dull is overstating it. We'll get to that with the man whose name you find on the title of the podcast, Phil Costa, at underscore Phil Costa on Twitter. Hello, Phil. Hello, Elliot. How's it going? Yeah, it's going well. So my feeling about watching France under Didier Deschamps is it's like buying a Ferrari and taking it to a Walmart parking lot because it'll still go around the parking lot fast and look really shiny and pretty, but you've got the sense that it could maybe stretch its legs a little more out on the open road. And um, I think we should start with France-Germany, a game where maybe we might have gotten something a little different if France hadn't scored first, but KG. France gets the own goal, and while there were a couple of offside efforts and Kylian Mbappe is still a hell of a fun player to watch, um, a lot of Germany huffing and puffing and not blowing the door down. We think of France as dynamic and electric, but really, they're just pretty solid and stout under Deschamps. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we we spoke about it yesterday. France have you know, talent in, in every position, and, and the squad is, is ridiculous, even the, the 20 five or 26 man squad they took was, you know, you can make a case for any of them starting, but it's what we said. It's uh, they're being coached by a very pragmatic sort of um, well thought out guy who's going to make his system and, and go with it. You know, he, he's not going to change for anybody. He's, I mean, he's proven himself. They're the, they're the world champions after all, but you're right. It does kind of leave you wanting a little bit more, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it's just kind of what I've come to expect now with France, and maybe it's just the first game, and they needed a result today. Um, maybe we'll see a bit more attacking in, in, you know, in the later stages of the group. But um, this is no surprise for me, considering we we mentioned it yesterday. Yeah, I mean, one one quick side note. I'm curious how you reacted to it. I think it was Pavard who went down with the head injury. I don't understand how in a tournament where we saw really the the grotesque scene that we saw 
uh, for Denmark with Ericsson. And I, I get that they're not related. They're not the same thing. And, and maybe you know, I'm just being hysterical here, but every single camera angle suggested he was, he was out, out cold. I don't see how you can continue to let players carry on in those situations. And I'm not saying that the medics aren't, you know, skillful and doing their job, but the player's always going to say, I want to continue. There's pressure, I think, on them to, to let the players continue. I still feel there has to be a third party that steps in and says he cannot continue. I, I don't want to make the whole analysis of the game about that, but I just want to get your take on it. Because for me, um, you know, as an American who also watches NFL where there's been massive documentation of, of CTE and the, the long-term effects of, of head injuries and the way the NFL has, has really traumatized the lives of former players because of it and, and the work they're trying to do now to, I guess, compensate for that. Not that they necessarily traumatize their lives intentionally, but what has happened. Yeah, I'm just really attuned to it, and I, I found that very hard to watch. I mean, did you have the same reaction, or am I overthinking this? What, are you trying to tell me that pouring water on the back of someone's head after they've just been kneed in the in the side of the head is not enough? Um, I guess if it's like the water that, like if Jesus turned it to, to wine, maybe he just, you know, is like, is holy water or something? Is, is that fair? No? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I, I think football has a... a a very blind spot for, for head injuries. And like you said, you know, Gerson's came in at full pelt and sort of smashed into him straight into the temple. And the collision, you know, it's not just the initial collision, it's the landing as well. And for sure, he was definitely out of it for, you know, a few seconds until the, the medics came on and sort of got him round. I think football has a big problem with it, especially now. For me personally, there's no excuse when you can make five subs. Um, he, I mean, we don't know what happened pitch side. Maybe he could have passed all the, the concussion protocols and, and all of the tests that they ran. But I, I don't know. I could kind of feel like a bit of unease, even with his teammates. I mean, there was Varane talking to the doctors. Um, and for me, it, it just doesn't sit right, you know, especially because I mean, the players for me will always want to play. Um, but I think at some point there needs to be some sensibility from, from either the manager or the medics and just say, look, it's the first game of the group stages. It's not worth it. Like you said, we've seen what, what can happen with, with Ericsson. Maybe obviously that was an extreme circumstance, but I think football has a lot of work to do with, with head injuries. And, you know, I think it's going to take some proper legislation from UEFA to get that done. Yeah. And, and look, I think like the Ericsson situation, it's a reminder, things can be wrong inside your body that you can't see on the outside. You know, just because blood isn't pouring out of a cut in your leg or your leg isn't sitting shattered into pieces doesn't mean there's not a very serious injury on the inside. But you can't see that in your brain, obviously. And like, I just I think that the ability to act like there's nothing wrong because there's nothing that you visually see wrong is is a really scary way to approach it. And I I don't know, that just didn't sit right with me before we get into the actual format. You know, the headline player that excelled thing we learned Um I want to go to one of the incidents, which is, was it Hummels with the last ditch challenge on Mbappe in the box? The commentators I was listening to felt that it was an inch perfect challenge. I only got the one review uh, replay, so I didn't get a great look at it. And I I may have blinked and missed the contact with the ball. I certainly saw him hook the foot. Is it a clean challenge? I mean, it was funny because we were speaking about it in in our WhatsApp, our work WhatsApp. And I just thought he did enough, but literally only just. Um, I thought he, first of all, he kind of went through Mbappe a tiny bit to get to the ball. But I think he got enough of the ball to make it a kind of 
their challenge in quote marks, you know. Um, I mean, Mbappe just breezed past him in the initial. That in was the crazy, that acceleration, wasn't it? I know. I mean, Hummels was never quick. Um, and especially now, I think he's, what, 32 years old. But he's got but five yards way, on him. <laughs> yeah, it was just an absurd burst of speed. And we know he's capable of it. Um, and actually, he did the right thing by going back infield towards towards the goal instead of staying wide. And to be fair to Hummels, he got back uh, sort of enough to be able to make the challenge. But it was really close. And I think even just like a millisecond later, and I think it would have been a foul um, but just how I saw it, especially in the slow motion, I think he just got there in time. But like you said, it was there was not much in it. Yeah, and I mean, look, I think when you challenge from that angle, the burden is on you, the defender, to make sure it's clean, if you follow what I'm saying, because yeah. you really shouldn't be challenging from that angle. I realize he doesn't have a choice there. Um, all right, well, let's get into it uh, in earnest, in the format anyway, which starts with your headline from the match. My headline is that I was finally right. Um <laughs> And give Good myself for a big you. pat back. <laughs> yeah. After getting a lot of things wrong so far, I called France being quite pragmatic but clinical, and I also called Germany being toothless up front. So we got it. We got it, ladies and gents. Um, yeah, I thought Germany were very, you know, um, as we said, you can't doubt the talent in the team, really. I mean, Serge Gnabry, Thomas Muller, you know, Ilkay Gundogan had an amazing season. Robin Gerson's had a great season for Atalanta. Kroos, you know, just names on names on names. But I just, I'm a bit like Spain, I don't see the guy who's going to score the goals. Um, and you can say, oh, look, but with Germany, we we can share them around with, with Havertz in, in there as well. And they can all score maybe one or two. But for me, if you're going to be a top team who who is challenging for the tournament, you need somebody there who's proven and will score goals. Um, and if you look at all the other favourites in the tournament, England have Kane, Belgium have Lukaku, uh, Portugal have Ronaldo, France have Benzema. You know, um, they had, they all have like a, a known goal scorer that they can rely on. And for me, Germany don't have that. And, and it was clear that they just lacked some real cutting edge again today. And, you know, they huffed and puffed and they made a few chances, but there was nothing you know, really clear. And I don't think Hugo Lloris was ever really troubled. Mm, yeah. I mean, I guess Nabry hit one into the ground. They kind of lost him at the back post. And other than that, yeah, that, that was it. Um, do you, b- before we move on to the player that, that uh, impressed you the most, and there's certainly one that I think we're going to mention, but do you have a sense of both of these teams having maybe the similar issue that, well, maybe more Germany than, than France, but that, you know, when I look at a team on paper, when I look at all the players available to them, you go, wow, there's a lot of talent there. And sort of similar to Portugal, I guess. When a lot of it is all in the same areas of the pitch, that doesn't really help you because you can only put so many of those players out there. And I thought Germany in particular had a problem today of having a lot of very talented players all in sort of one area of the pitch. But one thing that I don't think helped them with the back three, Phil, is that like, I don't know, maybe it's from watching Gundogan with City, but I feel like with Gundogan and Cruz you'd like at least one of them to be closer to the to the penalty box, closer to the area. And like, that if you have a three-man midfield and maybe more of a traditional double pivot, that Gundogan could play a little bit ahead of them or something. I mean, do, do you get the sense that maybe this this back three makes it difficult for, for Germany to get enough bodies around the, the penalty box? Because I have to say, this is, people are going to bristle at this, and maybe you will. There were times watching Germany during this game in their back three that reminded me a little bit of Arsenal, 
where they could get it to the edge of the final third and and everything then funneled out wide. And from there, the ideas broke down. And I, I feel like that was a maybe a result of, of lacking one presence in a more central advanced space. Is, am I just talking out of my whatever part of my body that is wrong a lot? No, I think that's fair. I mean, for me, they've been kind of forced into a three because they lack natural right back options. Who are, who are good enough. I mean, they have a Isn't young player. Isn't that ironic for, for yes. Germany who had Lom for so many years? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, they have a young player called Ridley Baku who plays for Wolfsburg and he was a standout performer for Germany when they won the under 21 Euros. And, you know, you saw today, I mean, they were playing Joshua Kimmich there who who's world class in my opinion. I think he's still underrated now, but he's, I think they lose a lot without him in the middle and particularly against France, who are a very physical, energetic midfield. Um, Tony Kroos and, and Ilkay Gundogan are not the two guys that you really want um, to be playing there against Pogba and Kante and Griezmann dropping in. So for sure, I think the back three sort of hampered them a bit today. Um, but yeah, I'd, it's like you said, they were, all the approach work was was nice and you know they managed to get towards the box fairly, you know, uh, comfortably. But once they got there, they never seemed to have many ideas and they just sort of resorted to aimless crossing into the box, which is really frustrating for me because that I, I hate when teams do that. You know, there's always, you know, if you have to, you can maybe try and go back and work another angle. But if you're just trying to cross to, to Kai Havertz, who, who would easily get dominated by Varane and Kimpembe in the middle on crosses it just you know I was looking at it a few times and I was like come on guys you're better than this um and yeah they just seem to lack ideas and you know it I I, I understand it's a, a new formation that they're trialing and they've got some new personnel but for me this was always going to be their downfall and you could see that in the 90 minutes yeah well I guess um we can move on to the player that that impressed you I mean how do, how do you get past Kylian Mbappe he just is a hell of a fun player to watch, isn't he? <laughs> well, I mean, for me, he's the the difference maker, but I don't think he had an amazing game. I mean, so don't... Varane then? <laughs> yeah, I think for me, it was there's three options that I would have had ahead of Mbappe. I know it's crazy. Um, I, I thought Varane was was absolutely unbelievable in the center of defense, and I thought the two midfielders, Pogba and uh, Kante were were so good as well. I know there were some loose touches from Pogba in the first half, but compared to Rabiot, I mean, there's no competition. Can I ask you a question between... then? For the one where Mbappe's marginally offside for the Benzema goal, hmm? Pogba kind of loses the ball just for a fraction of a second, doesn't he? Where, yeah, yeah. where if he if he can get it out of his feet, then it's, it's clearly onside. Yeah, I know. I had the it's same thought. Yeah. And actually... When I watched in, in you know in normal time in real time, I thought Mbappe was miles offside, and then I saw the pictures, and I was like, "Ooh, you know, it was really not much in that at all." But yeah, I think, like you said, he kind of got it stuck under his feet a bit. Um, but I th- just really, Angolo Kante is like he's he has this amazing ability to just be everywhere all the time. Um, you know, one minute he's making an interception in the middle of the pitch and then he passes it out wide and then he's somehow on the right wing again to collect a loose ball. And you're just like, how does he do it? It's like a magnet. Mm. Um, just crazy energy and um, tactical nows to be in the right place. And, you know, he's just and really technically good as well. His touch is so secure and his passing's nice. And I'm so glad that he's found form again because he's just one of my favorites to watch. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I, 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 if you had to press me for one player who really caught my eye, I, I would go for Varane. I think he was a standout in the in the back line, and he sort of anything that came into the box, he was just blocking and heading away. And I thought he kind of goes under the radar a bit at Real Madrid because Sergio Ramos is kind of all action red cards, yellow cards, booting the ball, going in for fights. And he's kind of just there to go about his business. Um, but yeah, I think he's an excellent player and he was my man of the match today. Yeah, all fair shouts. And I, I think, you know, look, Paul Pogba is one of those players that, you know, there's the joke about Graham Sinesse and how he reacts to him and the, the meme on the internet and all that. But um, he's a sensational player and I just think he's wasted at Manchester United. And I I, I like him further up the pitch I think he really can play anywhere but when he gets closer to goal I mean that that pass is really sensational Varane too I mean it is the reality that when you are a team like France that has as many exciting attacking players as they do it is easy to forget that defending is a skill and can win you tournaments and having Varane at the back is every bit as important for France the way they want to play as having Mbappe at at the other end I, I mean I don't know if I totally agree with you that Mbappe didn't have a great game only in the sense that like what he does to the opposition in terms of just not allowing them to get up the pitch. I mean, how do you push your defenders up the pitch at all when Mbappe is there? You know what I mean? It's just the, the way he can attack space. There was a period there for about 10 minutes when all the French players were doing is just trying to get it out of their feet and kick it into the into the German half so that Mbappe could run onto it. He's a unique weapon. And I think because of his pace, he's sometimes thought of as only having pace. But that goal he scores that that's offside where he, you know, kind of cuts back left and then right and then left and cuts it onto his right foot and passes it into the far post. I mean, he is he's as close as you're going to see to the next Thierry Henry. I mean, they they really are the same kind of player, and I I enjoy watching him. Um, what did you uh, what did you learn from this game? Well, I learned that France looked good for the favorites. Um, it, <laughs> I think a lot of people will be leaving this game maybe a bit unsure about their performance, but for me, they were entirely comfortable in the whole game uh, with with room to grow. And that's the exciting thing because they were sort of the early stages of this game were very much early sparring, kind of trying to figure each other out who was, you know, who was playing where. And, you know, it was just about settling into the occasion and composing yourself. But if I look at them in possession, I look at them out of possession. I think their structure is so secure and well-drilled. I mean, defensively, towards the end, when they had to drop a bit deep, they looked, you know, everybody was aware of their roles. They're strong. They're quick. You basically have every single profile you need in that squad to succeed in the modern game. Um, And there's not a single player tonight that I would have been like, hmm, you know, he didn't have a great game. I mean, Griezmann had a strange game. He was kind of out wide and in the middle. We didn't really have a set role, but defensively he was so committed. Um, and in the 90th minute running out, slide tackling, and you need that, you know, especially in international football, mm. you need people to dig in. And I just, for me watching them today, you know, I, I can really see them getting through the, the group stage with these and even further, because for me, they're the most complete team. They're the most, sort of well-drilled team and they're the most talented team. And I think putting those three things together, it would be criminal if they didn't at least reach the semifinals. And I'm, you know, I, I leave this game thinking, wow, you know, this is a really accomplished squad and I'm expecting more from them actually, which is a scary thought. Yeah, that is, that is a scary thought. And I mean, 
there's so many ways that they can do it and, and so many ways they can approach the game. I, I almost would like to see them fall behind in a game, you know, just to see them have to bring the full power of their attack to bear to get back into a game. Um, certainly now, you know, already in a, in a good position to go through. But for Germany, just before we move on from this game, how do you react to, to my thoughts about Germany? I mean, do you, do they need to try a different approach? I mean, look, they're, they mean, if they, they could go to the final and not face a team as good as the one they faced today, unless they face France again. So you don't want to draw too many conclusions. And they had a fair amount of the ball. I don't know. I just, that, that sort of horseshoe passing and that, that tendency to push everything out wide and then serve the ball into the box, which I don't know suits them particularly. Maybe they can get a, a by Olivier Giroud from France now that France isn't using him. Um, what what's your thought on how they can tweak it to maybe be a little more balanced? Because I don't think Gundogan and Cruz were in the game enough, and I don't I don't think that just funneling it out wide and, and trying looking for cutbacks and crosses is necessarily the best way for for them to approach every game. Yeah, I mean the obvious tweak for me is going to a back four. I know they lack uh, traditional left backs and right backs. I mean, Gerson's played today. He's definitely a left wing back. I mean, that's where he plays for Atalanta and he's, you know, scoring and assisting week on week for, for them in Italy. But I would just say, look, this is going to be a short term thing. Maybe for, for me personally, having a, a functioning midfield is much more important than having guys who are maybe not comfortable in, in yes, wide areas. that's a better uh, way of putting it than I put it as I stuttered and yeah. staggered through my my, my explanation. <laughs> I think for me, Joshua Kimmich needs to be in the middle. Um, I think he's he's too wasted on the right. I know he came through as a right back and he played there a lot for Bayern during his, his early years, but I think he brings too much to the midfield. And like you said, you can then push Gundogan forward if you can partner him with, with Tony Kroos. And uh, yeah, I would maybe just put... Emre Chan at right back or you know just they have Lucas Klosterman from RB Leipzig you know just someone who who can who can play there who maybe doesn't have to be a specialist but I think maybe going to a 4-3-3 getting Gnabry out wide you know getting Leroy Sané out wide and then putting Timo um, Werner or Kai Havertz in the middle and then you know you even have Thomas Muller there so there's a lot more flexibility for me with that kind of formation um, and I think it, it just gives them a little bit more in the center instead of, like you said, having to funnel everything out wide, which makes them, you know, far too predictable. Because at one stage today, they kind of let them, France, let Germany have the ball in those areas because they were like, all right, go on, then cross it because we know that we can deal yeah. with it. So yeah. um, I think for me, a, a, a small tweak to a four, I think that could really help them. Yeah, I think that's that's well said. It, it is... It is always frustrating to me when you see coaches go away from the strength of a team to try to protect the weakness, if you follow what I'm saying. Like, mm -hmm. I think if you know you're weak in a certain area, just try to do more of the thing you're good at. I think rather than reshaping everything you do to protect that weakness and losing all your strength, I don't know if I'm articulating this the way I'd like to be, but I that's why I think it felt a little Arteta-ish to me because... You know, when Arteta came in Arsenal, obviously what he did is he, he, well, not right away, but when he switched that back three is he found a system that covered up a flaw, which was our defensive frailty, but at the expense of where all the strength was in the team, which was the attack. And that's that's a problem we're still trying to overcome to some extent. So, um, all right, let, let's get to Portugal-Hungary. An interesting game because, I mean, 
Portugal didn't exactly impress for long stretches, and Hungary, you know, may have had a chance to to have the lead late on, and then it winds up a three a 0 thrashing in the end. Doesn't tell the story at all. Uh, what's your headline from the game? I think uh, Portugal have to fix up a bit. That's my headline. Um, I was really disappointed with them, actually. Can I give you my headline? Since I, I don't on. ever get... You Go don't on. need two DMs against the weakest team in the group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, go for no. it. Can, can, can Actually, it, in the WhatsApp, I said that uh, Fernando Santos was a terrorist because he played <laughs> <laughs> William Carvalho and Danilo Pereira against the weakest side in the group. So It's insane. What was he doing? What was that about? Then they had William Carvalho like, running the touchline. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> this guy's slower than you know me. Gave um, a chance for Renato Sanchez to look pretty good when he came on. <laughs> Yeah, already you can just see him like burst through the middle and he beat two players, which led to the goal. So uh, to you didn't even get us a look at, at Ruben Neves either, who's the, the transfer darling for Arsenal. So I hate him all the more. So sorry, I, I had to interrupt because I just I had no idea what was going on. But go ahead, yeah. No, no, I mean you're, you're spot on. But I think Portugal, they, I don't know what it was. They just lack uh, was sort of really lackluster, you know. I know Diogo Jota had a few chances in the first half and let's say he squares that one to Ronaldo and then it's 1-0. The game looks very different, but I just found their touches loose, their passing loose. Everything was slow. They were, you know, hungry. We know we're going to sit deep. And there was no movement from any of the forwards, really. They were just kind of happy to be marked. Um, And then obviously you had the Nelson Semedo and Rafael Guerrero drifting in from the wide areas and was like, who am I going to pass to? There's no one here to, to move or, you know, and then it would just go back again. And it was like, really, you know, the, you have so much talent here and you, and you don't even seem intent on but, using but it. But that's the thing. That. Like when you have a, a deep block, a low block like that, Phil, don't you need someone from the midfield to provoke, right? To, to carry it forward, force a defender into a decision to come at you and draw them out a little. So there's spaces for those forwards. I mean, b- between William Carvalho and, and Danilo, like there was no opportunity to move the defenders around, at least in central spaces. So the forwards were left to do it alone. I also feel like, can't you just put Ronaldo at center forward? Because he's kind of, he's kind of the Aubameyang problem at this stage in his career. I don't know that he's giving you a lot building the play from the, from the left side? No, no, I agree. Um, I found it quite strange that Jota was kind of rotating with him um, because Ronaldo tried to dribble a few times and he looked stiff as a board. Um, you know, that's not his game anymore. He needs to be in the box, sniffing out chances, leaping two metres tall over defenders to head them in, you know? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I just I found their balance kind of wrong the whole game and it was you know until very late when they made the changes nothing seemed to be clicking but then you know some fresh energy some fresh impetus like you said from Renato Sanchez in particular who was you know uh, asking questions in midfield should we say instead of the other guys before who were kind of just happy to to sit back and, and recycle the ball so look Hungary defended really well I'm not here to take anything away from them I thought they they battled really well the whole game and even on the break they had you know, they looked really promising at times. They they had a few chances and they even scored, um, you know, even though it was offside. And I think at that point they would have, you know, actually in the grand scheme of things would have been worth the goal because I don't think Portugal really did anything of note before that. But I think what happened was they just put so much into the game and so much emotion um, into the game, which kind of peaked at the goal. 
And then after that, I think their heads went a bit and then Ronaldo, um, sorry, Portugal kind of smelt a bit of blood after that. There were gaps beginning to open and obviously their quality told in the end, but it was a very fortunate goal that put them ahead. Um, yeah. But sometimes you need a bit of luck, you know? Yeah. And then, I mean, from there, pretty easy, obviously the rest of the way, Ronaldo doing what he does, scoring from the penalty spot. And to be fair, the yeah. last goal is well worked, pretty goal, but hungry were oh, done yeah, at good. that point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it is a reminder, Phil, is, is it kind of weird? We don't really think about this, but by and large, international coaches aren't very good coaches. <laughs> like, you know, you, you look around the, you know, the club game and you see the absolute best coaches in the world and you look around at international football, there's not a lot of coaches that I would put at the absolute top of the game. And I think today was a day of, you know, maybe Germany, exploiting their own or you know, taking away some of their strength in the way they set up to cover the weakness. I don't know if I would have gone that way. And, and Portugal going with two DMS and central midfield to against the weakest team in the group. I mean, is there just a point at which you look at international football and you say, it could be more fun if, you know, Pep Guardiola and Klopp and Tuchel and, and Bielsa, um, you know, were coaching international football, but that's not what we get. And as a result, we see a lot of sort of head scratching decisions. No, no, I think you're right. But we also need to consider that international football is a very different game. I think the pace of the game in general is slower it, at international level. And also, you don't get as much time to work with the with the squad on tactical ideas. You know, you could be dealing with injuries, you know, and there's not such a long uh, season or time to recover from mistakes. Because as we know now, if you lose one game, you're already in a big, uh, a big hole that you have to dig out of. So maybe there's there's a natural conservatism from that. Um, but we know, as you mentioned, Fernando Santos is not, you know, he's not a, a revered manager. He's been in Portugal, Greece. Um, you know, I think he's managed Estoril and, and Porto and then Ajax, Athens, Panathinaikos, you know, teams like that who are far from, you know, European top five leagues. And I think he's, anyway, he's sort of known as a defensive coach. But I thought in the first half, it was kind of like, what are you trying to do here? I didn't understand what what the plan was. Um, like you said, I think just even one midfielder to come on there and kind of be able to run from deep, like a third man runner. We mentioned Pedro Gonçalves, who had an amazing season with Sporting, you know, or Renato Sanchez, just someone who could run and ask questions. But, you know, Hungary was super comfortable um, in the first half and you know I was just waiting for him to make a change make a change and he didn't until the last 10 minutes and I was like man you're leaving this close because if you don't pick up points today um, you're deep you know. crap yeah well and the interesting yeah. thing is I kind of wonder if the I, I have to look at the timing again I don't have it in front of me so maybe maybe he did but like if the thing that woke him up to make the change was hungry scoring and it was dodging it the was. bullet you know because yeah. other than that he was just sitting on his hands absolutely yeah I mean the first change came in the 71st minute which was Rafa Silva, which I thought was bizarre. He was one of the last people I would bring on. Um, and then it, and then you're, you're spot on. They scored, and then he brought on Renato Sanchez and Andre Silva. So Yeah, yeah, that did it. Yeah, so maybe he just needed like a, a bit of something to kick him into life. But I just found Portugal very lackluster. Um, and I think that, that stemmed from the manager, really. Yeah, and I, I do take your point. I mean, it is essentially cup football. And so, you know, these managers in club football who are sort of built to just go chase three points every game. You can't really go blood and thunder like that um, in the in the group stages of a of a tournament like this. So I, I, I guess 
some sympathy, some apology owed to these guys, but I still think they're buffoons. Um, okay, let's quickly look ahead before we say goodbye to the start of match day two games. And uh, tomorrow, Group A gets back underway. There's some interesting games tomorrow, but I think the one that really catches the eye might be Turkey and Wales. Uh, both teams came away with no points. Turkey looked terrible against Italy. Uh, Wales, I don't think you would say looked terrible, but they weren't able to get any points. And so this is a make or break game and Turkey was a dark horse for you. So do you expect them to turn it around here? I mean, Wales did, did get a point against Switzerland. Well, they did so. get a po- of course, right. Yes, they got the yeah. Uh, um, yeah. What? I mean, it's, I don't think it changes much, to be honest. I, I agree with what you said. This is very much kind of last chance territory, maybe, for, for Turkey. I mean, if they drop points again, then it's it's kind of curtains for them, even for the third place finish. Um, so, yeah, I'm expecting, you know, a game with some urgency, I hope, because... There's a lot at stake for both of the teams. I don't think Wales will come out and, and feel like they have to win straight away because um, I guess a point for them would still you know, not be a bad result with with, um, with Switzerland playing Italy. So, But, I mean, for Turkey, everything's at stake. And, I, you know, I, I, I can't see them repeating their performance against Italy. I would be amazed if they came out and performed like that again because I know they're better than that. They know they're better than that. And I think maybe... Now they've had a chance to sort of regroup and get that out of their system. I think they'll they'll be coming out with a point to prove. But you know you can't underestimate Wales either. They they battled very hard, and I think as we mentioned, they're maybe not going to be all out for the win. Um, but we know they have quality that can hurt teams. So maybe if they do the classic sit back and counter, they've got more than enough players who can who can cause Turkey some damage. Yeah, and you know it's it's interesting because. We then get to see Italy play, and it'll be sort of fun to try to piece this together because Italy, you know, so far has looked like one of the teams of the tournament, the way they dismantled Turkey. But I guess we'll get to find out, was Italy that good or Turkey that bad? Switzerland could pose a little stiffer competition. Are you excited to see if Italy can kind of confirm that they are maybe uh, one of the stronger sides in the tournament? No, absolutely. Um I'm just going to go back to what we said earlier about having that guy who can score the goals and more so than Germany, I, I, you know, Chiro Mobile maybe is not at the level of Benzema, Kane, you know, some of the guys that we mentioned before, but he's no, uh, you know, he's no joke. This guy's been scoring in Italy now for three solid seasons. So I think in him, they kind of have a focal point to build around. And if Italy can pick up another win, then, you know, maybe people are going to be looking at them a bit differently because, you know, especially with the advantage of playing on home soil, uh, that's another big boost for them that maybe some other teams don't have. And for sure, that that's a real opportunity for them to make a statement. Although Switzerland, you know, they've been here before, they've worn the T-shirt, so um, I wouldn't discount them too quickly. Yeah, well, uh, Finland and Russia also play tomorrow. That's the uh, the opening game. Don't need to get into that too much. So I think we can leave it there. I, I am excited to see those second games, though, Turkey, Wales, Italy, Switzerland, and um, you know, see, see what lessons we can learn. I think match day two is fun because we get to see what was false narrative from the first round of games and, and what really we can start to see shaping up in the tournament as being the real the real stories going forward. So looking forward to covering all that with you, Phil, and we'll, uh, we'll get back onto it tomorrow uh, at full time, yeah? Yeah, nice one. Well, imagine we could see Finland on six points, which would be incredible. 
um, you know, unheard of. Nobody predicted them to, to be anywhere, you know. Uh, I did. I did actually. I just forgot to tell anyone, which is oh, a huge okay. shame. Well, huge shame. Yeah. Um, well, look, I, I hope everyone's going to come see us in Vegas if you can. Uh, that website's going to be up and live soon to register. So uh, I'll have that information out shortly. But, yeah, it should be a really, really good time. We have a lot of stuff planned uh, for you uh, analytics heads, by the way. Uh, Ted Knutson, CEO of StatsBomb, will be giving a, a transfer symposium there, telling you all the behind-the-scenes dirt and all that. We'll have live podcasts, uh, FIFA tournaments, watch parties in the in the nightclubs, I believe, even though there'll be day clubs at that point because it's going to be early kickoffs in Las Vegas. But, yeah, August 20th to 22nd, uh, Arsenal America will have some information about that as well, but I'm, I'm really excited, so hopefully we'll see a lot of you there. If you have questions, you can get in touch, but we'll be putting that website out uh, very, very shortly. So looking forward to that. All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, you can find Phil on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Thanks, Phil. Pleasure. My name is Elliot Smith. You can find me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow, and remember, wherever you are, whoever you support, it's coming home. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.